Welcome to Guest Getter, the best place for restaurateurs to learn the art and science of getting more new guests, getting guests coming back more often, and getting guests spending more per visit so that you can be more profitable and do more of what you love. My name's Kyle Guilfoyle. Let's hit it. Welcome to another episode of the Guest Getter Podcast. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Christine McHugh, former Vice President of Customer Service and Experience at Starbucks and author of the book, From Barista to Boardroom. In the book, she shares her journey from serving single espresso shots at Starbucks and working her way up to the big leagues in the organization. I'm excited to dive into Christine's insights from that journey and what restaurants of all sizes can apply to give better experiences that win loyal customers and team members alike. Christine, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming. I'm, I'm also pretty excited here. Uh, so Christine, how, how would you describe your uh, area of expertise, your zone of genius? I mean, at the very highest level, it's really around service. And I don't mean specifically in the transaction between an employee and a customer, although that's part of it, but serving others, serving people, helping people. And it's something that I think has certainly always been a part of me, but became clear as I went on in my career and my life, that that is my area of strength and also my area of passion. So whether it manifests itself in community service, whether it manifests itself in helping somebody who needs um, a helping hand, or whether that actually means in a literal customer service situation, that that is my passion and zone of genius. I like that term, by the way. <laughs> oh, I wish I could take credit for you for it. Um, do, you, do you remember the, a moment or like, yeah, like an aha moment where you realized that that was what you were passionate about? That is a great question. I'm not sure if it's one particular moment. I think it's a culmination of moments, but I think it became really, really, really clear to me um, when I moved into the head of customer service at Starbucks. And it's always been part of my DNA um, and how I live my life and how I serve my team and how I serve you know, my community and constituents. But when I was the VP of customer service and was directly interacting with customers who had walked into the Starbucks store that day or previously that week, it was, it, I just got so much energy from it. It felt like a boost. It felt like my, I had um, found my calling, so to speak, and because I really cared about each and every person who walked in the store. And usually as a head of customer service, you know, I was dealing with like the really serious escalations of, um, I'm sure you and your listeners and have heard it all and experienced it all. I was always surprised that there was just something even more fantastical that could have happened there. But but usually I was, you know, I got in contact with the customers when there was some really serious situation or something that doesn't resolve to their satisfaction. And I care so much, like listening to them, hearing their story, acknowledging what was going on with them, finding a ways to resolve it. Like I, 
it was a highlight of my day. And I got to a point where when I first went in the role, I had no idea how my day would have to be so flexible based on what might come up. So I ended up establishing a practice of 30 minutes. Like I'd block two 30 minute blocks on my calendar each day, specifically for unplanned customer escalations. Sometimes that time was used and other time it wasn't used, but, um, I really actually enjoy listening to people and talking with people. So back to your question, like there was lots of things that led to that, but that's when it really became clear to me that I genuinely loved this, um, and wished I could do it all the time. So, yeah, I think, well, I think that must be, uh, a superpower to, to, you know, be able to, to listen to that and, and get energy from it and, you know, also solve problems. I, I can't help but ask this question. What is the, or can you share with us the juiciest situation that presented itself? I'm laughing because I, I think juicy is a great word because it was the strangest and it probably made the press too, but it was when somebody claimed that they found a lizard in their latte. <laughs> yeah. And practically the way cups are stored, which is upside down and the way the store is cleaned and all of the sanitation things that happen there, I knew that was a really far-fetched probability, mm -hmm. but it wasn't my job to argue with the customer around why and how that happened. And so, but it's still, cause I, cause that customer sent me a photo too of wow. the lizard in the latte. <laughs> I can still have the image in my head. That's um, so you, okay. There's something else I want to dive into here. You, you recently published a post in your blog called how I lost my shit over a maple bar and what I'm doing about it. And I'd be remiss if I didn't explore this with you. So can you share with us how you lost your shit over Maple Bar? And <laughs> what you're doing about it? Yes, it's kind of embarrassing. And I almost fell into a, using the Karen moment. Um, <laughs> I, um, but it was a great aha for me to kind of pause and just try and put myself in the shoes of the people who are working. So I am a distance runner, endurance athlete. I run and cycle a lot. And when it, I've committed myself this year to run a half marathon a month, just on my own as a way to kind of just keep myself active. And my reward at the end of every half marathon is to have a maple bar because I really love donuts and sweets. And I wrestled with after my run, do I stop at the store on my way home or do I go home and eat a healthy breakfast and hydrate and then go get the donut? Well, I made the dumb mistake of going home first. Um, I should have just gone to get the donut. So I had built up in my mind such intense cravings and an anticipation of what that maple bar experience was going to be like, um, probably to a degree of um, obsession <laughs> that I waited in line at the donut shop. And when I finally got up there, it was around noon. So it wasn't that late in the day, but it was around noon. When I finally got up there and was placing my order, the staff person said, I'm sorry, we're out of maple bars. I froze. 
I actually have to commend myself that I didn't completely lose my shit with the store staff because it's not their fault. She kindly said, can I offer you something else? And she gave me a few options. And at that point, I just was like, nope, nothing's going to do. <laughs> I walked out of the door and I went to my car and I was like, Christine, you just lost your shit over the fact that there's no maple bar. How privileged are you? These are the questions I'm asking myself. How inflexible are you? And what can you learn from this moment? So I manage my expectations better now when I'm going to pick up my post half marathon donut, which my next half marathon, my May half marathon is actually this Saturday. So I'm already gearing up for after my run. If there is no maple bar, how am I going to handle myself? So that's, that's the story. And I'm a little embarrassed, but it's also the honest truth. I think sometimes in life, we kind of expect things and we hope for things. We want things to go a certain way and they don't. And even though it's silly and something such a minute as a maple bar, it does actually have, can have broader application and meaning. So happy to answer any other questions related to that incident. Yeah. Uh, so, so what, what is this solution then? Is it like you're, you're, you're okay with a Boston cream as well, or uh... no, no, no filled donuts for me. Um, I would say this is good because you're helping me with Saturday's run. Like if I show up, I need to be thinking ahead of what my options are. An old fashioned glazed would be next in line. Okay. And if they don't have that, I might walk out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also think that, um, you know, moments like that where we're kind of like, we look back on it and we're kind of like, damn, I'm like embarrassed. And that's where the, the greatest insights are. And also it's, those are the moments that most people just don't really share. So I think, uh, I think there, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to get into vulnerability porn or anything, but uh, that's, I, I think that's a great example. Um, so you, you were at Starbucks for what, 27 years? That's correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a pretty solid run. I'm, I'm curious what you would say to someone who is just starting at any organization, maybe they're, you know, they're, they're just entering the workforce and they have aspirations of, of, you know, working to the tippity top, wherever they are. Uh, what advice would you give that person? Yeah, that's, I mean, I get that question asked often and, you know, every organization is different, but there are a few key things that come up over and over. One is to raise your hand and take initiative, like ask for more responsibility, see opportunities to contribute um, and to develop breadth and additional expertise. But that is really taking initiative. Don't wait for it to come to you. That's one thing. Another point would be to be really open to the possibilities. I think sometimes we can be overly fixated on climbing the rungs of the ladder. And actually I've started this other blog post you might have seen called Rungs of Learning. And it's really to illustrate that people can move forward in their career in life by continuing to learn and grow themselves, not just focusing on the goal or the milestone or the marker. And if you're looking to grow your career in an organization, be open, you know, to maybe things that you haven't even considered yet, whether that is working in a different function or taking a role in an operation that maybe you haven't done before, but you never know where that's going to lead you. You might love it. You might hate it, but you're going to learn from that experience. So I would say really be open to the possibilities. And then 
The last point is, and this is kind of related to the previous one, is be flexible. There's several times in my career where I've taken lateral moves. I've even taken step down. Um, I've gone from really big scope to really small scope. And those were all some mostly intentional moves, but the reason was to actually help me develop a broader skill set or to deepen some expertise that will serve me later. And so if you're looking to start, you know, at a entry level or kind of an early in career, like, and say you're an operator, just making this up, say you're working in a restaurant or you're working in a retail venue and you might automatically look, oh, I'm going to be here. Then I'm going to be a store manager. Then I'm going to be an area manager. Then I'm going to be a director of operations. And then maybe I'll be a area VP or something like that. That's possible, but there's also zags that you might do along the way that will actually potentially help you become a more effective and stronger leader when you are at that level. So I'd say to recap is, um, you know, be open to the possibilities and be flexible and put your hand up and take initiative. Those are the three things that I would offer. Restaurant owners, operators, and managers, before we continue with the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you know if your marketing is working? Most restaurant owners are relying solely on organic social media and word of mouth marketing. While these are both powerful, they ultimately leave the growth of your restaurant to chance. You can't control algorithms and you certainly can't control what people do, but you can use a system that will have a huge impact over time. I'd love to show you the guest magnet method. It's a simple but cohesive system that will accelerate the growth of your restaurant in a way that you can measure. It is backed by ROI, a return on your investment. If you want to learn about the most powerful way to grow your restaurant sales this year, send an email to kyle at guestgetter.co with magnet in the subject line, and I'll get you all the details. All right, back to the show. Awesome. Now, now on the other hand, uh, you, you work with a lot of uh, leaders, executives, CEOs. Um, what, what would you say to the operator who wants to uh, cultivate a staff or a team of people like that who raise their hand, who take on more uh, projects and, you know, are, are happy in the process? That's a great question. I mean, you really have to work at creating a culture where people um, can show up to be their best. I'm very much of the mindset of strength-based leadership. How do you leverage the strengths of those people around you? And even help exploit those strengths more fully so that they can um, contribute in new ways. But it is a lot around the culture of participation, um, a culture of uh, curiosity by the leader and the person, really discovery. I know from spending so many years in operations, it's a can be a very like, this is how we do things, A, B, and C. And it can be a stretch sometimes for operators to kind of like zoom out and kind of think about what else could be. And I think as a leader to create that environment where your team wants to grow, wants to develop themselves, you kind of have to sometimes relax a little bit. The rigidity that sometimes comes in operations um, doesn't mean letting go of quality or letting go of execution and those types of things. Of course, those are super important, but in terms of how do you create that culture, you also have to be open to a culture of experimentation and be willing to let people um, learn and grow and fail from that. So 
there's a few things I'd offer on how a leader could create a culture where people want to aspire and grow with the organization. Awesome. And okay, so so 27 years, uh, no secret that that's a solid run at a company. Um, many ups and downs, I'm sure. So I'm I'm curious, could you take us to the to the the toughest point of that of of your journey uh, with Starbucks, the the hardest point, and um, and and what you what you learned from it? Yeah, I mean, there are there are a couple, and I definitely talk about these in my book, and they tend to come later later in career. And I think they probably came later in career because I have more clarity about what's important to me, my values, and what drives me and motivates me and I'm passionate about. Um, and the two came, one was working with a leader who, um, and this is, I don't even know which chapter it is. I should know these, have these memorized right now who was well-intended, but was just not a good match for me. And I felt like I, I was a VP at that point that I felt like I was being constrained for lack of better words and was not able to be my full authentic self and do my best work. And it may have been a personality mismatch um, between the two of us, but it was really, really, really difficult. And I almost, when I was there, I never planned to be there for that long. Certainly nobody come. Most people don't say I'm going to work part-time while I'm going to college. And then I'm going to plan to be an executive of this company. That isn't usually within the, you know, the, the vision, but some people it is, but it wasn't for me. So I didn't plan that to be there that long. And only a few times when I was there had I actually came really, really close to quitting. And that was one of them. And because I was losing sight of myself and who I was, and I didn't feel like I could again, be my full self. And so that was a low point for me, but it was also a a wake up call for me that I need to be in a place where I can be who I am and be, do my best work and in an environment and working with a team and a boss who can knows how to bring out the best of me. So that was one low point. And I think the other low point really wasn't, um, I mean, it's really at the end of my tenure. It's chapter one of my book. I actually start out with chapter one and how I left. And that one's a little bit more complicated, but I think it was a low point because when I left the organization, I didn't, um, I didn't feel appreciated. Uh, and there's a, you know, you'll read and I'm, we can get into more if you're interested, but like, I didn't feel appreciated. And again, I didn't feel valued. So there's that common theme between those two, two low points. Um, that's. That's what comes to mind for me right now. Yeah, that's that's solid. Um, another thing that I, I noticed in uh, a review of your book is is someone had said that ultimately we learn that courageous choices can make all the difference. And I'm wondering if you could share with us what courageous choices are, what they look like, maybe some examples of, of those. I, I imagine one was probably just like, like leaving. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was definitely when I think that quote was from Marguerite Kondreke, I think who is a founder and former CEO of a chain of childcare companies called Bright Horizons, which is interesting because that was a little micro point of courage for me was reaching out to her because I didn't know her. I knew somebody that knew her. And I thought as a woman leader and um, executive, who's also a mother, 
and founder that she would provide some great perspective, but I didn't know her. And I was like, she might say no. And I was asking her to read all 200 something pages of my book and provide me a review. And she doesn't even know me from you really. Um, so that was a little moment of courage of like stepping out there and, and taking a risk and doing the ask. Um, but other moments of courage, certainly leaving uh, on one hand, because I was really jumping into relative unknown industry to a very, very small company. I left Starbucks. I had a team of a hundred people and I went to a company that had 40 people in the entire company in an industry I had no experience in. So that might be perceived as an act of courage. Um, a couple of times I've taken time off. Uh, one of which when I went backpacking around the world for a year when I was 30 and I was still working at Starbucks. And there were a lot of probably moments of courage in that experience. But the fact that I actually stepped out of my corporate job, right, when I'm in my kind of prime and early earning potential um, could be perceived as a lack of courage. But those were all things that I felt like I needed to do to grow myself. And so I don't particularly look at them as courageous you know, I've had to do some hard things. I've had a lot of hardships in my life, not unlike all human beings, right? <laughs> but um, I like, what can I get from this experience? I don't look at it as a uh, courage. So it's interesting to hear other people use that word to describe it because I don't see myself that way. So, well, I, I actually, I think that another superpower is the ability to either quit something or take a step back or like you said you you know you would you take steps down um and so i'd actually i'd like to explore that for a second because there have been many times in my life where you know deep down i know that the best thing for me would be to let go of this thing but i usually hang on to it most of the time it has something to do with money and so you know i've I've come to really check myself and, and watch whenever I'm making decisions based on money, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in a good, that's not a good direction for me to, to be going in. So I, I really take a step back and, and, and assess it from, you know, a different perspective. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, I think that, yeah, when you're 30 and taking that, that step back or away from something to, to travel, um, was probably really scary because like you said, you, you, you know, you could be kissing substantial earning potential goodbye. Um, so yeah, what's, what, could we get into that experience a little bit? Like what, what made you, what actually gave you the courage to, to take that leap? What was the crossroad? Yeah. Um, I will share the story and, and, but I'm, you're reminding me of a quote. Uh, so last night I had a conversation with one of my executive coaching clients who's, been working a lot. She's 65 hour work weeks. She's just not feeling fulfilled. She called me yesterday. She wanted to talk because she just got a huge promotion and she wasn't excited about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And she shared this quote with me and I looked it up and it says it's anonymous who the author is. Um, but I focused so much on what I wanted. I lost sight of what I deserved. Mm -hmm. And what in the context we were talking about was what she deserves is meaningful work, you know, feeling fulfilled in all aspects of her life. Um, but she was so kind of sucked into, I call them the shoulds, 
you know, (laughs) the things we should be doing. I talk a lot about the should. So you just made me think of that, but, and the, the time off to, to travel around the world was a little bit, you know, was precipitated a little bit in that, what do I want? What's important to me? And I describe it in my book as feeling a little bit restless. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, oh, age 30, I'm feeling restless. You know, that was like 20 years ago. And I still get restless now, but it's like recognizing that some things just weren't feeling fulfilling to me. And I was needing a um, change in perspective and um, growth and also recognizing that I wanted to um, have some experience that perhaps I may not experience when I was a little bit more tied down if I were to start a family. And so I never dreamed about traveling around the world in a backpack. I mean, a lot of the themes in my book are like, I never saw myself as an entrepreneur, a marathon runner, a world traveler, a, uh, an author. Like none of these were in my vision of my life for myself. And the round the world trip certainly wasn't anything I fantasized either. It happened because I was feeling restless. My husband was feeling restless and we were exploring a bunch of different ideas, um, travel, which is one. And I came home from work one day and he had went to this travel bookstore and had a huge map of the world laid out on the floor. And he had unbeknownst to me already planned out what he thought a route might be. We hadn't talked about doing this. <laughs> And it just kind of started moving forward for that. And once we made a commitment to ourselves to save money and figure out, you know, how we would handle the house that we owned our pets, you know, that sort of thing, it just kind of unfolded from there. So I actually just wrote a post about this today on Instagram um, because I mentioned I'm a runner. And I was had this um, real deep thinking run today. And it was a very short run, but it was like, reminded me that small incremental steps and in progress can yield great results over time. And the trip around the world was like that too. It wasn't like, we're going to do this. This has always been the vision. It's like, well, what if we went here for a little bit? And what if we saved this little bit of money? Like, where could that happen? And then just things start to build momentum that way, but you have to, whether it's in your career, a vision to travel around the world, to write a book, to run a marathon, to start a business, you have to take some of those initial steps. And that takes that courage. Maybe that's where the courage comes from. Maybe that's why I get that word. Sometimes you have to take some of those steps forward and be open to seeing how they unfold and where that will take you. And then maybe take a couple of other steps. So I can happy to share any other stories regarding, you know, the trip itself, but, um, it made a huge impact on me and us and our, my relationship with my husband too, because we spent literally 365 days together for 24 hours a day. And we didn't kill each other. I consider that a win. (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. Um, well, yeah, so I, I can't help, but feel like the impact of it is probably like you could probably reflect on it. And it's very like concrete, you know, what, what that impact was. And I could be wrong, but would you, would you briefly be able to just share what that, what that impact was for you just taking that trip? Yeah. I think, you know, really it, it pushed me outside my comfort zone. So back to the courage and risk taking, 
I had a lot of things on that trip that I didn't know I could do, whether it was trekking in Nepal for eight days and I'd never been a hiker, whether it was rafting a class five river and everything I could do that, whether it was showing up in a new country and not knowing the language, the money or how to get around or the transportation, you know, all of those being put in those very new, um, uncomfortable situations, many of them uncomfortable, really helped me like kind of learn to keep things in perspective and embrace, again, embrace that newness, the novelty that comes when you put yourself out there. So it did develop some more risk-taking and confidence in decisions and actions. It also really helped put me in touch um, and this is probably where I started to get a little bit deeper into my own, you know, reflections of myself and what's important to me, but what is important to me, right? When you are in your job and you're hustling, you know, day to day and working long hours and taking care of your customers or taking care of your team, it can be hard to kind of step back and pause for a second. And like, what do I really enjoy? What don't I enjoy? What am I good at? What am I suck at? And how do I, you know, adjust myself and my life and my career so that fits those things. And on that trip, I did develop more insight about what's mo most important to me um, that I think would have been harder to do if I didn't have that time away. So courage, risk-taking, um, trying things, experimentation, and putting myself out there for sure. And then also the, um, just kind of knowing more about who I am and what, what drives me. So. Love that. Love that. Um, okay. So I have this, um, I have a little wrap up, uh, quite, I think, I think I've, I've, I'm feeling whimsical. I'd like to do a little, uh, rapid fire, uh, wrap up session. Are, are you down for that? That sounds fun. Bring it on. <laughs> okay. Um, Okay, if someone were to give you $50,000, let's say a government grant to uh, grow your business, how would you spend that money? Wow, because my natural inclination response would be like, how do I give it away or do provide services for people that need them? So I don't know, if I already got a grant, I might grant it to certain communities or populations where people need some support with leadership and career coaching or small businesses. Um, that's just my initial response. I like that. I like that. That's cool. You'd, you'd give it away. You'd, you'd use it to fund your services to those who need it most. Uh, love that. Um, what is your favorite cocktail? Uh, margarita on the rocks with no sweetener and with salt. Do you have a favorite tequila? No, <laughs> not very discerning. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations? Um, I think the best bang for your buck is El Jimador Reposado. Okay, I'll, I'll make a note. Of that. I was craving a margarita the other day after my long bike ride. I'm training for a century ride and it was just sounded so good, but we didn't have the ingredients. So now you've inspired me to go to the store and get that. <laughs> Have you had, have you had a mezcal margarita? Maybe I'm not sophisticated in this area. I just know what tastes good. Well, you should, you should, uh, you should take, you should make a courageous choice and try a, a mezcal margarita. Um, and 
finally, what is, uh, no, two more. What's your, what book has had the biggest impact on, on you in the last, say, year or two? Would it be really cliche for me to say my own? No. And the reason is, is because I grew so much from this writing experience um, and learned a lot about myself and learned some new skills that it really writing the book actually had a really big impact on me. What advice would you give to someone else who wanted to write a book? Much like what we've already talked about, you've just got to start, start. you know, you got to get started. I, I actually have a blog launching tomorrow that I kind of interviewed myself on the writing process. And, um, you know, somebody has asked, people ask me that, what do you do? You have to get started and you have to really understand your why, like, why are you doing this? What's your purpose with this? And when you get clear on that, then things start to happen. So awesome. And finally, is there anything I should have asked you, but I didn't? My favorite Starbucks coffee. Yeah. What is it? I 99.9% .9 of the time I drink a French press of Starbucks Cafe Verona and the other 0.1.9%, not 0.101%, whatever the math is, is I like a nice cold brew, especially after a long run or a long bike ride. Nice cold brew. Uh, also, are you, uh, are you buddies with Howard Schultz? I wouldn't say buddies, but familiar. So... Yeah. I actually, I have a few stories about him in my book and I offered to him a couple of times to read it um, in advance to see if he wanted to weigh in on it. And his assistants told me that, you know, he would probably want to, but I never heard back from him. But I do know one of his key um, compadres, I guess for lack of a better word in his current venture, uh, sent me a note the other day and said he ordered it. So we'll see, but. That's awesome. Um, I just wanted out of respect to give him a chance to read what I wrote about him, but he didn't weigh in. <laughs> so fair, fair enough. Um, Christine, awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can, where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, a couple different places. So my website is christinemcqueconsulting.com. I also have a very specific book launch website called from barista to boardroom.com. I'm most active in the social media space on LinkedIn and also Instagram. Instagram, I have three different accounts. So <laughs> it gets a little confusing. One's really running focused. One is consulting focused. And one is for my book launch. Somebody will have to figure out what to do with them. But um, to hear my voice on a regular basis, I'd say subscribe to my newsletter on my website and follow me on LinkedIn. And certainly if people want to talk further you can find me in any of those places i'm always open to having a conversation awesome awesome well thank, thank you so much christine thanks for having me this was super fun i appreciate the opportunity to come in and chat with you pleasure we'll, we'll have to have you again soon